Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico. Um, I oversee community and family ministries, as well as membership and that kind of thing. So um, occasionally I get to be blessed with um, preaching. And um, I was just saying that it's such a privilege because it's actually a time where I get to interact with God's word in a very unique way and get to experience kind of God doing something in me um, throughout the week and then getting to share that with you guys. And so it's such a huge privilege and the outcome of that um, hopefully is an encouragement to you all. We are finishing up a sermon series in the Lord's Prayer. And so um, if you guys can recall why we did this in the first place is because we um, as an elder team are convinced that unless we are a praying church, we're not gonna make it. And that sounds very um, dire. And that's how it should be, honestly. Like, if you are a church and you can make it apart from the power of God enabling and empowering you, um, I don't want to see what kind of a church that would look like. And so I really want us to grow into this. And so, you know, we've been doing this about six weeks. Have you guys mastered prayer? Yeah, you ready to go? Okay, cool, yeah, uh, me too, me too. No, this is, this is a lifelong pursuit, and so I wanna encourage you guys in that, um, especially as we have a lot of people who are new to the faith and who are just kind of figuring that out, and so um, this is meant to kind of be an introduction as well as an open door to walk through for the rest of your life. Um, And so you're going to just kind of continue to learn how to pray, continue um, to pray and engage with God as you go through life, Um, and that's good. And so we just want to move that a little bit up the field and um, present all of us with some categories for how to pray and how to actually do that. So today we are talking about deliverance. And do you guys hear the dueling banjos? Yes, all right. I wasn't sure how many people were going to get that. Um, Yeah, but it's a call for us to be delivered from evil, from the power of darkness. And so it implies that we need that, that we can't do that on our own. And so we're going to talk about all of that. I'm going to read the whole um, Lord's Prayer just to kind of continue to do that. It's good, good to just be um, constantly in the Word, meditating on this prayer. So I'm going to read it again for us and then pray and we'll get started. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you again and we lay claim to what your word says about us, that through your son, we are children. And we are children of you, the most high and eternal God. And so, Lord, as we end this series today, I ask that you would move us out of our heads and into our hearts, and that we would, we would cry out to you in all of these ways that you've taught us. 
And God, I ask that you would reveal to us our need for you, for your intervention in our lives every single day. God, and I ask that you would encourage us um, as people in this room are likely dealing with um, despair and frustration. I ask that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would remind us of all of the resources that we have in our faith. Um, God, we thank you so much that as we come to this text and as we um, as we come before you this morning, we can expect to receive, and we can expect to receive truth and life and goodness, Lord, and that you will engage in the battle for us against all that deceives and darkens and tries to destroy us. So God, please be with us and help us through your spirit, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Are most of you guys from D.C., or are you a lot of transplants? Probably a lot of transplants. Yeah, oh, Northern Virginia, yeah, sorry. Um, so here, I'm from Colorado, and the great city of Denver. And one of the many things that I love about Denver is that it is laid out on a grid. And you guys are probably like, what does that even mean? It means that the roads go straight, and they intersect at 90-degree angles. And so, how do you get lost? You don't. It's wonderful. You know exactly where you're going, you get on a road, and it takes you straight. And then, if for some reason you lose your sense of directions, there's these 14,000-foot mountains that are to the west, always. And so you orient yourself, and you keep going. It's amazing. So we moved here, <laughs> like seven years ago. And I remember um, my wife and I were going somewhere that I, was not, I wasn't familiar with any of it. And this was back when I think there was still some like, debate over which map app was going to win out. And we were using the one that did not win out. And um, as we were going, the map app started lagging. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you in DC during rush hour, but if you get into one of those circles and you don't know which lane to be in, it's really bad. And so only very holy words came out of my mouth that day. Um, and that was my orientation to DC. And so here is, here's what was happening, and here's how this has any relevance today. We were trying to get to a destination. We knew where we wanted to go, and we put it in the map, and we were depending on that little app to tell us how to get there. And if we weren't on the right path or the right road, it would take us away from our destination. And so that's important to remember when we're talking about temptation today, because temptation is one of those Christian words where we're like, oh yeah, you know, that probably has to do with like sexual sin and um, all the things. But, and those are expressions of it, but at its core, at its root, temptation is anything that tries to knock you off of the path that leads you to your destination. And so, actually, everyone experiences temptation um, in different ways. And so an athlete might experience temptation in the off-season. Say the athlete's destination is, I want to be the best um, at my position in the whole league. And so in the off-season, the temptation might be to rest and not train and not practice. So they're being tempted in a way that will pull them out of 
the path that will get them to their destination. Um, a businessman might be tempted to cut corners because he thinks that by cutting corners, I will actually increase my profit share. And yet, chances are you're going to get caught by cutting corners, and that's actually going to do financial harm. And so you're getting pulled off your end goal, which is to make money, and pulled onto another path that leads you somewhere else. So prayer is God using our interaction with him to bring us safely to our final destination. That's what prayer is. And so God is using our prayers to bring us safely to our final destination. And so that's why Jesus is telling us to pray when we're tempted. Lead us not into temptation. So what is the final destination? And really, I, I'm just gonna kind of give you guys how some of the questions that I was asking as I was thinking about this. Um, because it, this, this little, um, this last petition brings up a lot of questions. Um, and so I'm just gonna kind of go through some of these questions. But the first question that's really important for us is what is our final destination? We have to understand that as people, we are not just stagnant creatures, but we're creatures in motion. We are creatures going somewhere. And so where are we going? Where are we headed? You might not be able to articulate that, but everything that you do is a reflection of where you want to go, where you want to end up. That's just how we're made. We can't help it. And so as Christians, as people who, um, who love God, who want to trust Jesus and follow Jesus, our destination is eternal harmony and peace with God, with our Father. Eternal harmony and peace with God and with our Father. And we know that Jesus is the only way to get there because he actually made the path for us and he created the road that we traverse. And then he also gives us the power to walk along that road. So that is where we're going. And temptation is um, anything that tries to take us off that road. And the, other, the only other destination is eternal enmity with God, being eternally at odds with God. And so the stakes are really high with this. We don't think about this often, um, probably because it's just so big, um, but we have to deal with it today because unless we understand where we want to go and the deepest longings of our heart, we won't really get why temptation is a big deal. So what is temptation? It's anything that seeks to knock us off of our path and our final destination is eternal rest and harmony with God. So where does temptation come from? Like, why, why is there any kind of doubt about, is, shouldn't it just be pretty easy? Like, we're all people, God made us all, so shouldn't we just all be able to follow our path and end up with him 
forever. That's kind of what um, probably the kind of like secular spirituality of the day would say. It's like, well, as long as you believe in something, it's all kind of going to the same place. Um, and as long as you don't hurt anybody and are true to yourself, like, you're going you're gonna to be okay. Um, well, <laughs> that assumes a lot of things. But the first thing it assumes is that you are a trustworthy guide to navigate yourself to your destination. And so, using our little example of someone who's new to DC and their map app broke um, is nice, it's a, it's a funny image, but it's not quite true. Because you have to then take that person and plug in the wrong destination and then turn them into like a KGB spy. <laughs> so, they're not only not gonna go to the right place, but they are fundamentally at odds with the whole system that they're navigating. And that's us. That is the human condition. We aren't just lost, we're willfully lost rebels. So it's not just that we've lost our way or that our apps stopped working or lost signal, but it's that we don't actually want to follow God. We want maybe what God promises us, but without him. We wanna do it our way. So temptation, what do we learn from that? Well, temptation comes from internal sources. It comes from within. So that's one place where we find temptation. We are tempted by our own residual indwelling sin. That's true if you um, believe and trust and follow Christ or not. All of us have this residual indwelling sin that is at odds fundamentally with who God is. And um, we'll get there, but I have bad news before the good news. It's going to be like that for the rest of our lives. We do not experience the perfect removal of sin in our lives until Jesus returns or we die. And so we are going to constantly be fighting indwelling sin that twists our desires and kind of has us taking exit ramps all of the time. And then there's two other sources of temptation that we're kind of gonna be doing battle with, and they're both external. The first is um, the father of it all, and that is Satan. And so go back to Genesis 3, if you remember, the Satan using and speaking through the serpent originates the first temptation of man. And it's a twisting of God's word, and it is a focusing on what God has restricted, and it's a questioning of God's character. And that is the source of all temptation is Satan. And this is, again, um, are we really crazy enough to believe in Satan? Like, isn't that just kind of a metaphor for everything that goes wrong? Um, actually, no. And if you look at the world, and the, no matter how hard we as humanity try to make things right on our own, thinking that there is a 
a creature in rebellion that is vastly more powerful than we are, kind of throwing wrenches into God's plan, trying to um, pull people out, trying to keep people in sin, deceiving people, it actually makes a lot of sense. It makes sense of a lot of things in our world. Um, If there were some evil creature that was constantly at odds with God. And it's important to re- remember as we're talking about that because there's kind of like two camps. There's people who will like underplay Satan and just kind of think like, oh yeah, I know that's in there, but I don't want to talk about it. And then there's other people who are like, Satan does everything, right? And so if you get a flat tire, it's clearly Satan working um, to prevent you from you know, going to the grocery store or something. Um, But Satan is a creature. So it's not dualism where you have two equal forces, like God is good, Satan is bad, fighting against each other. No, Satan is chained by God. He's restricted by God. He's limited. And yet he does have um, vastly more power than we do. And so one of the, this is, we're getting into barriers of prayer One of the barriers to prayer is that we don't take Satan seriously. Because we don't remember, and probably on some level, we don't consciously believe that there is actually an incredibly powerful creature who is trying to destroy you all the time. If we believe that, if we remember that, it would probably change how we pray. (laughs) and it would probably give us more need to pray. And so that's that's kind of the big external category. And then there's another um, external category, which is just kind of like, I'm just calling the world. So we're tempted by the world. And what I mean by the world is things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but because of how they interact with our indwelling desires, we are tempted by them. And so just kind of going through life, we're going to meet a number of temptations because of our twisted desires. Um, And that's just doing life in the world. So that's how we're tempted. And now the big question, why do we ask God not to lead us into temptation? Isn't that a weird question? Isn't that a weird thing to pray for? It's like, well, of course, like we know James, um, I think it's one, tells us that God does not tempt us. And so why are we, why are we saying, God, don't lead, lead us into temptation? It's like asking him to do something he's going to do by his character. And that's kind of the point. But in the midst of temptation, it's really hard to think of anything other than how overwhelming it is. And so it's hard to recall, like, oh, well, of course, you know, it just becomes too theological, like, God doesn't tempt me, so what should I actually pray here? No, it's a cry out in the midst of temptation for God to do what he wants to do. And so when we are praying for God not to lead us into temptation, it's an expression of our new desire, of a desire to follow God, to be led by him out of temptation, 
and we do it, notice the pronouns, they're all plural. We do it together, not isolated, not individually. I think that's one of the hardest things to wrap our minds around as a church, is that we are called to pray together. For each other. So it should matter to you just as much if your um, fellow church member is tempted as if you are tempted. We should care about each other like that. We should want each other's good in that way. So it's us calling out to God for him to not lead us into temptation. And then finally, it is simply a confession of our need. It's acknowledging that you need God to do this. So it's basically coming to the point where the only hope you have is God hearing your prayer and showing up. This is a really difficult concept. I, I struggle with this. I'm one of those people who like, I like to do things and I especially like my independence. And so when um, I am confronted with a text like this where it's like, pray. It's like, well, what else do I do? <laughs> I don't wanna just pray, that seems silly. And so I was just thinking of like, how do I know if I'm trying to resist temptation in my own strength? So we're confessing, we need God to come and help us. We are being, um, tempted by something that is above our ability to defend and to resist. So how do I know if I'm doing it in my own strength? Okay, so I've got six ways, and um, I'm sorry if this is you, but it's me, so it's good. It's good to recognize when you are actually, you might think that you're operating, um, as a Christian, and then these are, these are very non-Christian things to do. So it's good to recognize that and to just realize like, if I am doing this, it means that I am neglecting the way that Christ has laid out for me. So the first is that if you pray infrequently for help in resisting temptation, you're operating in your own strength. That's kind of obvious. So if you are very infrequent in praying for help with temptation, you're trying to do it by yourself. Or you're at least trying to do it with other people. You're kind of leaving God out of it. God wants you to ask him. He wants to help you. And again, unless he shows up, you're in trouble. The second one is, if you do not search scripture for guidance and help to understand yourself better and to grow in your faith in Christ, you're operating in your own strength. And so I think there's also people who are prone to pray, but by pray they really mean just kind of like vent and have a therapy session with God. And so they just get to kind of like um, pour out their hearts, whatever's in there comes out. That's a category for prayer for sure, but if it stays there, that's only you. God's not entering into the picture. And so you're not actually receiving from God. And so how do you do that? Search scripture. If you have a specific area that you're struggling in, 
I can guarantee you it is addressed in scripture. It's sufficient for everything that you need to live this life and to follow Christ. So search it like your life depends on it because that's what's at stake here. Another one is if, if, if you pray alone, this is number three, if you pray alone, never asking for prayer from your brothers and sisters in Christ, who God has given to help you, you're operating in your own strength. So again, if you are praying and reading scripture and nobody in your church knows what's going on, you're doing it by yourself. And you're, you're so confused that you're doing that by yourself, that you actually think God will honor that. <laughs> but you're neglecting the ordinary means that he's given you. And so he's likely going to leave you right there to humble you. So if you pray alone, you need to ask for prayer from other people. Number four, if you continue to needlessly put yourself into the way of temptation, you're operating in your own strength. So here's what I mean by that. This is a great example, um, and I say this with, I give this example with a little bit of humor because it's a little funny, but I don't, if you know the whole story, it's not as funny, but we'll just do the funny version. Um, I used to work before being a pastor, I was a counselor in a jail. And we had people who were going through our program specifically for substance use addiction. Um, and we had a lot of people roll through our program and they would graduate and then usually get some type of deal at a reduced sentence or something. So we had one of these guys who um, was one of my clients and he finished our program, was doing great and um, just loved this guy. And then he got out of jail. And one day after work, I was driving home and I needed um, to get gas and I like popped in to get a bottle of water as my, car, my gas tank was filling up. And I'm like getting the bottle of water and I look over and I'm like, oh, I recognize that guy. And it's this guy who used to be in the program and he's standing in front of the cooler that's full of beer. And he's just like looking there in a daze. And this poor guy. And then he looks over and he sees me and he just like drops his head and walks away. Um, he needlessly put himself into the way of temptation. Now, he might have needed to go into the gas station for something, but his feet took him over to the cooler where the beer was and he was just like drooling. He was tempting himself beyond his ability to resist. So he was putting himself in harm's way. He's doing it in his own strength. Because he thinks that he can resist on some level. And this also just shows you how twisted our own GPS gets. Because if we go on autopilot even for a little bit, it'll lead us right to the thing that will destroy us. So it's a great example of that. Number five, if you're indifferent to your sin and do not preemptively pray to prepare yourself for battle. So if you are just kind of like going through life and like, yeah, when I'm tempted, I will pray. That you're setting yourself, you're setting yourself up for defeat because you're not preemptively engaging in prayer. So this we have a beautiful example of later in scripture. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
right before Jesus was betrayed and turned over to be crucified, he takes three of his disciples up to this garden, um, and I'll just read it to you. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here, watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not wait and watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for his eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus has already taught them how to pray. And then he reminds them, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. And they're like, yeah, that sounds nice, but what's the danger? And they fall asleep. I just see myself so much in those disciples. (laughs) Hearing and just thinking about the need for us to pray, to resist temptation, to be led out of temptation, it seems a little abstract, to be honest, until it's too late. And think about what happens next. He says to Peter specifically, (laughs) you couldn't wait and watch with me one hour? Jesus knew in Peter there was a heart that was afraid and that wasn't quite trusting that Jesus was who he said he was. And he knew that Peter would, be, would betray him. And he was trying to show Peter, you don't have to go this route. Prepare yourself, pray. Your flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. And so, as we all know, Peter denies Christ three times directly after this. being indifferent to sin and not preemptively praying to prepare yourself for battle. And then the sixth, this is the last way that you can know if you're trying to resist temptation in your own strength. If you are neglecting ordinary Christian means of grace, what do I mean by that? I mean regularly attending gathered worship, baptism, communion, singing with each other, praying with each other, receiving from God's word. These are the, the mechanisms of grace that God has given his people. And so he wants us to engage these. He wants us to take use of them. And when you stop, when you're like, well, I could go to church or I could extend that vacation one more day. 
you're kind of saying, I don't really need it. I can resist on my own. I don't need to be fed that day. So those are, those are the ways that you know that you're resisting temptation in your own strength. Another question that you have to ask yourself um, is what are you tempted with? What are the specific ways that you are broken that you're prone to be tempted in? And so as I was thinking about this, there's a bunch of them. Um, but ju- these in particular for our church just seem to plague us. It's sexual sin, I think that's, that's kind of the one that we naturally think of often. Greed. We're in one of the wealthiest areas of the world, so I'm sure we're tempted to be greedy. Pride. We get to do a lot of cool work. We have cool jobs. We think a lot of ourselves. <laughs> That's kind of like, you know, in the flyover states, they're like, oh yeah, those people in Washington, D.C. area, they think they're a big deal. Gossip. So getting life from tearing down somebody else. How many times have you had a conversation with someone and then felt just, just gross afterwards? Said, I should not have been saying those things. Fear and anxiety. We're tempted to find our security in our jobs, in education, in our savings accounts. We're tempted with isolation and escape, those two kind of go together. I'll just go home and pretend like none of this really exists. So those are what we're tempted by. And then this is where we're gonna wrap up. Um, This is the biggest question for me as I was thinking about just how we are on this journey trying to get to the destination and the reality of sin and temptation for this life. I don't feel like I'm gonna make it, guys. (laughs) How many of you have given in to temptation over and over and over again? And you're in despair. This is the grand scheme of Satan. (laughs) It's to get you to think that God does not see you as his treasured child. He will use those failures, Satan will use those failures, to call into question the deliverance that we have been promised in Christ. And we are so at risk (laughs) in those areas of our lives. And we all have them. We all have them. And so this prayer, Jesus is giving us this prayer. And it's revealing his heart towards us. He wants us in those repeated failures to keep asking God to seeking for God's help. And he's showing that Jesus' heart here 
it is tender and it's compassionate towards weak and weary souls who are just mired in failure. He knows in very real ways how weak we are because he took on our nature. Hebrews 4 tells us that he is a compassionate and faithful high priest because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He knows how weak we are. And yet, without sin. Yet he was faithful. Why was he faithful? Why is that a big deal? He was faithful for us. So when we are plagued by the doubt of our own failures, we get to say, you know what? Yeah, I failed. My hope is not in my success, it's in Christ's. That I belong to him. That he owns me. That it's in what he has done. Not what I continue to do. So in, in the mire of that, of that, and I just, I know we all go through this, and it, we keep, we kind of act like we don't, <laughs> because we, um, we're ashamed of it, honestly. But in the mire of your continued failure, you have to put your mind on Jesus and all that he is. That's the only way to make it out. And that's what he wants us to do by telling us to pray. And he demonstrates that. He demonstrates that with what he did for his disciples. His disciples who um, Peter is kind of like the paradigm of denied him over and over and over. Jesus didn't abandon him. He rose from the dead. He came back and he found them. And he ate with them. And he encouraged them. And he reminded Peter, hey, Peter, you love me. You love me. I know that. Don't worry. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid that you are not going to make your destination. Remember that you love me. And it's because I have loved you. And that's why we're here. That's why we are here today. (laughs) It's because... Peter and the disciples did not give up. Even though they had betrayed Jesus and abandoned him, they didn't give up. (laughs) And Jesus didn't give up on them. And so we're inheriting this rich resource of what to do in the midst of temptation. And what we get to do is claim that we are delivered. That that is something that has happened and is happening and will happen fully. And so just continue to come to him. In your fatigue, in your despair, in your cynicism, continue to come to him. Continue to pray that God would lead you out of temptation. Because you never know. (laughs) You never know. 
And if you're doing it in your own strength, I pray that God would reveal that to us and that we would let go of some of that because the way of deliverance is not our own strength. So, we learn that God uses our prayers to bring us safely to our final destination. And I I thought this would be something that would be really helpful for us to do together as we kind of conclude this sermon series. And so, um, I'm just gonna spend some time praying, um, but praying in very specific ways. So one of the beautiful things about this prayer is that you can see throughout God's word how he answers this prayer. Not just the sixth petition, but petitions one through six. He answers these prayers, and he has in his word. And so I'm going to run through these, and the production team has um, some of the verses. It's just one or two verses that speak specifically to each petition. And so you guys can actually, I know it's weird to open your eyes and pray, but you can, it's okay. Um, You can pray through the scripture as I just kind of read the petitions with these scriptures and pray over us. Um, And you can just kind of meditate on the words as I'm praying over you. So I encourage you to do that. So the first one, there we go. Hallowed be your name. Heavenly Father, you are in heaven. We desire to see your holiness. We desire to see your holiness made known to this world in our lives, in our desires, in our hearts. And God, we know that this is the source of great joy for us because your word tells us that our heart is glad in him because we trust in your holy name. Lord, help us to make your name much more precious to us every day. Lord, your kingdom come. It's hard to believe sometimes on this this earth, God, that you are ruling and that you have demonstrated the nature and the power of your kingdom through your son and your spirit And so, Lord, we ask that that would continue to happen, that your kingdom will continue to come, that it will come through us, through this church, into this city. And, Lord, we look forward to the day when we get to experience this, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will is sometimes very mysterious to us because we live in this fallen world, because we wrestle with suffering, because we enter into periods of darkness and frustration. So Lord, I I just ask that you would give us a strong sense of your sovereignty that we are not worshiping a God who is standing idly by or is unable to intervene, but that our God is in the heavens and you're doing all that you please. So Lord, help us trust that. Help us trust that. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. 
Help us trust you to care for our physical needs in all of the different ways, in health, in hunger, in shelter. Give us trust. And we know that we can trust you because you who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, we need your forgiveness. We have sinned against you. We have wanted to do life our own way. We've wanted to be the center of our own universe. And we need you to set us free. We need you to pay our debt because it's one that we cannot pay. And so, Lord, as we receive your forgiveness that's found in your Son, we also need your help to forgive people who sin against us. Help us to remember that you have, have forgiven us far more abundantly than we could ever imagine and give us the strength to then look to you and forgive others. And we know, Lord, that when you have forgiven us, as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. And Lord, even after you've forgiven us, we continue to be tempted, and we battle sin, and we fail, and we fall. And it seems as if our deliverance is at risk. But God, I ask that you would help remind us that you give us grace every day, that your gospel continues to work and transform us. And we trust that process. We trust you with that, Lord. And I ask that we would, that we would be so overcome with gratitude that we view life before your face like this, where we must perform our vows to you, God, and render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And all God's people said, amen.